This is the Collaborative Connections Podcast, a Society for Oncology Massage Production. Our show explores the intersection between massage therapy and cancer care. Whether you're a massage therapist, specializing in cancer care, or an educator, this podcast is for you. Let's explore the world of oncology massage therapy together. To learn more about the Society for Oncology Massage, be sure to visit s4om.org. Remember to follow Collaborative Connections on your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. And we would appreciate it if you left a review and ratings so others can learn more about this podcast. If you would like to suggest a future show topic or provide us any feedback, you can email us at podcast at s4om.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Collaborative Connections. I'm Erica Clinton, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. And our guest is Mary Aguilera Titus. Since 2002, Mary has been a licensed massage therapist in both Maryland and the District of Columbia and nationally certified by NCB-TMB. Mary's been an instructor with an Oncology Massage Education Associates from 2015 to 2022, where she taught oncology massage therapy to other therapists. Mary is a charter member of the Society for Oncology Massage and currently serves as the chair of the Education Committee. Welcome, Mary. How are you? Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'd love to spend most of our time talking about education, but I'd love to connect the dots for our listeners. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Society for Oncology Massage? Sure. Yeah. If I can remember what, what brought me here many moons ago. So I, I started the journey with oncology massage, learning about oncology massage therapy in 2004. Took a lot of classes actually with Tracy Walton and then Neil McDonald and then other educators that were active at the time who are no longer teaching. But that there was a cohort here in the DC area, you know, District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. There were many massage therapists who were really focused on this. And they, many included me and, oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And that's how I came to be connected really with Society for Oncology Massage. I missed the first gathering in 2007. Part of the experience that brought me to oncology massage therapy was my sister's and their journey with breast cancer. So I took about a year off after they passed and then kind of leaped back into it in around 2000, 2007, 2008, which is when I got involved with S4OM. 2008 was when I someone tapped me, I can't remember who now, to be part of the education committee. And we were in the very beginning stages, very beginning stages of trying to figure out how do we get our arms around what education looks like for oncology massage therapy? And we leaned heavily on NCB, but we also gathered a lot of knowledge from all of the pioneers that are in the field who were all part of this very, at that point, very small tribe trying to just, like I said, figure this out, get our hands around what does it look like to have standards around oncology massage therapy. But 
um, that's really where it was born from a, a group of massage therapists and kind of connecting the dots, listening to people, being invited. So you never know where something might lead. And right. That, that was true for me in terms of getting connected to S4OM. Wow. So you connect to S4OM like in 2009 after having obviously a very impactful personal experience with cancer. And was that also what led you to becoming an educator? It took a while to say yes to being an educator. Just part of my personality, probably. But now I didn't become an educator until 2015. So mm -hmm. several years when I was just part of the part of the team trying to, I was very much in favor of having some strong educational standards. You know, I had during those years of becoming a massage therapist and developing my career. I, I also had care for my sisters, but I also had three school-aged children. So the, the education piece was a thread throughout prior to becoming involved with S4OM. Absolutely. And, and that just carried it. I was a skill set, I think, and a, and a viewpoint that I carried through and was able to offer support in the education arena. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think when people think about education or continuing education, they don't realize that standards kind of exist. Can you give us a little bit of an understanding of why educational standards are important? Sure. I mean, it's, it really allows for an even playing field of when we say a course or a field of instruction has its students achieve X, Y, or Z, you know, competencies. It gives a framework. And that's really what I consider it as, you know, these standards create a framework. So it allows us to talk about the same thing. What do we mean when we say oncology massage therapy? What aspects are we considering important? And the, and what we focused on right from the beginning within S4OM was the foundational courses. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're really clear that we're just looking at that beginning course, you know, you know, 24 hours is our minimum for the foundational course. And honestly, it, it feels like it just scratches the surface. I know I felt that way. I took my first class 24 hours and I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. there's so much more to learn here. <laughs> and I spent the next several years, you know, taking many more courses from different education providers. So the standards help us as both students but also as educators have a common language and a common knowledge about what is it we're trying to support our learners in accomplishing? What do we want them to leave this space having, feeling more confident with in terms of, and in massage therapy, obviously it's both the knowledge, but also the hands-on skills. So I love that concept of an even playing field. Kind of, it's like, yes, everything has to be very clearly equitable across all of those dynamics and competencies so that, again, everyone who achieves this level of education or credential is at the same level of ability and clinical reasoning. And I think that's really, truly important when you work with people who have or had have had cancer. So 
S4OM has these foundational courses, but can you tell our listeners a little bit or just talk to our listeners about what are the actual educational standards that S4OM has written? They're on our website and that all of our recognized education provider organizations follow. Yes. So, yes, exactly. I definitely say, as you just suggested, go to the website. I am not going to go through the whole details of them and during our conversation. But essentially, they have been revamped a few times. This last iteration that we are using was revamped in 2021, June of 2021, so two years ago. They're divided. It's divided into two aspects. The first is instructor, instructor standards. So we mainly we want we want people to be a preferred practitioner because with the preferred practitioner, there are certain aspects of obviously people have had a course, but they are committed to what, you know, S4OM is about. But more important, we want people to have being well-grounded in their practice of massage therapy. So we talk about five years being a massage therapist. And we also talk about 500 hours practicing oncology massage therapy. So that if you're teaching other people, the belief was it would be smart to have people who are well-placed in their practice of oncology massage therapy. They've been around the block a few times in terms of seeing things and knowing things and experiencing different situations as well as having a teaching background. Now, teaching, golly, teaching, it doesn't need to be a degree in teaching, but it needs to be an experience in providing instruction and helping your student and your learner, you know, learn the skills. So that can come in a variety of ways. And we're, we really like to be open about that, but we just want to kind of put a pin mark in. It's important to know how to hold a class, whether it's virtual or in person. So those are the elements of the instructor standards. The curriculum standards, it's a pretty clear list of what we think are the very minimal pieces of what's important to know about cancer, about what that looks like, the different types, the different treatments. And then we move into how do, how do those treatments impact massage therapy? right? That's the crux of it. How do we adapt given our knowledge about cancer and our knowledge about treatments? So that's a that's kind of the gist of the foundational course. We like to make sure that there's clinical learning activity. So what's happening to help develop the learner in understanding when to do what? When to employ different skills? How to develop an intake? That's kind of an art form that takes a while to to develop, but we'll we'll start and make sure that's introduced in the foundational course. And there's the comprehensive practical, which is designed in different ways. And all of our rep orgs, and we use the acronym rep to you know distinguish recognized educational provider organizations. So it's just a, a shortcut rep org. All of our rep orgs are those educational entities that offer a foundational course. Foundational course, yes, it it has this list that you'll see on the website of the basics about cancer, the treatments, and then how to adapt from there. Included in that needs to be a comprehensive practical, which means delivering a massage therapy session to either a person who has had um, an experience with cancer or a simulated client. So there's 
a very clear history that is devised. And the student, you know, goes through the intake and goes through delivering the session with all of that in mind. And the instructor kind of guides, right? That's our, that's the role of an instructor is to guide, to help with the knowledge, but also to guide in that. So those are all components of the foundational course. Wonderful. So it makes it seem, or it seems, and it is, that that foundational course is pretty comprehensive, as you said, as the basics, the foundation for training for an oncology massage therapist. Now, you said the foundational course has to be at least 24 hours, right? It does. That's the minimum. But we have many of the courses that are more than that. Some are 32, 30, 32, 48. They're, you know, 100 hours in Beaumont, right? Yes. There's, there's, there's a variety out there. Honestly, 24 hours is a lot. There's a lot of material to cram into 24 hours. It's no. I, at times, I am pretty sure that when I teach, it's more than 24 hours that people, that my students spend on, on with the homework and everything else. But it's because there is a lot of information. That's important to try and convey. Person isn't going to walk out the door with all of that in place, but here's where to get, here's where to practice that. So yes, number of hours varies. Minimum is 24. Okay. And in terms of getting all of that information, as well as the hands-on experience, are the foundational courses 100% in person? Do you have some that are hybrid? I, I don't even, in my mind, I don't think a virtual course would make a lot of sense, but I also understand the times that we're living in where the technology is supporting our access to education. But what has S4OM said? That is a great question. Oh man, we went around the block on that one during COVID. So yes, prior to COVID, all of, our, all of the foundational courses were in person, for sure. It was hard to even conceive of anything else besides that. It's massage therapy. We're hands-on people. Right. COVID happened. Everything shut down. And there was this, okay, how? How do we come back into the educating field? We saw people do it. We saw grade schools, high school. We saw it. there was this amazing attempt and execution. I mean, people made it happen. And it was successful in many ways. And it has its drawbacks, right? Mm -hmm. We convened what we call the think tank in the middle of COVID because this was being wrestled with. There was a team that was like the education committee was being asked to consider this. I will say I was one of the people that was like, I, how? It, it, we can't do this. Right. So we, we developed this think tank and there were four different small groups from professionals across different spectrums, not just massage therapists, people in education, people in nursing, people in, we formed these small little pods to really, we could totally get behind the knowledge piece being communicated on via Zoom, right? That makes sense. How do you assess clinical skills, hands-on skills via a camera? That felt like, you know, it felt like a hard no from some of us. And it, like for others, it was like, don't, don't be so sure. So this group, you know, we, we worked over a, a period of uh, a couple of months. People met 
entertained questions, and then ultimately came back together. And the ultimate decision was, you know, it is possible. It is happening in the fields that require a hands-on presence. And so S4OM, you know, was brought to the board and it was, you know, agreed upon, we will agree to offer virtual training if those trainings still respect the clinical learning activities, the CLAs that are present in the in-person. So we try to really focus on the, on the CLAs and how do you assess, how do you assess your students for these mm-hmm. things? And if you can be able to describe how you assess in both an in-person format, you know, as well as a virtual format, then we have more momentum. So yes, I would say we have, we definitely have in-person classes that are back up and virtual. We have some that have been a hundred percent virtual. I've taught hundred percent virtual courses, which is just kind of funny because I was one of those ones of like, it can't happen. Uh, And then we have hybrid, right? We have people that are teaching part of their classes online and part of their classes in person. Okay. So adopting all of the COVID opportunities, as I like to call them, right? to make sure that we can continue to provide top-notch education. What I I saw, what I absolutely 100% was kind of blown away by, but also not surprised when you think, when you step back and look. Before I would teach 24 hours, so it's eight hours a day over a weekend. And people walked out with skill sets. But doing it over, we now I do courses that meet either once a week or twice a week on Zoom. And with that's with six hours at, as home study as a precursor to our 24-hour on Zoom. People's knowledge base is much deeper and they're able to retain more information just because we have a length of time to review it. We have a length of time to assess, there's quizzes and et cetera, that we just don't have the time in an eight-hour day that, you know, people walk out of there just fried. It was, it's a definite pros and cons, right, to each type of approach. And I, re- I really love that perspective when you can step back and say, okay, this gave us something we didn't have before. Right. But it also allows for, I think, more people to access education than ever before. Because oh now you can teach to someone who lives hundreds of miles away and they still get quality education. And that is, we've had people from Hong Kong in our class, people from Israel, people from all over the United States. And that means different time zones. But it, it is, it's pretty amazing. Parents who are trying to juggle both work and childcare and can carve out a few hours for a Zoom it it has increased accessibility to education. That's, that's wonderful. There are various options for people, however they want to take them. And obviously, if somebody still wants to travel and have a little vacation as continuing education, they can still go to a location and take a class. And I we talked about how you kind of have built in instructor standards with the education standards. So there's a clear setup of competency from the instructor to the course itself. Can you tell us how many recognized education provider organizations S4OM currently has? 
I had to go back on the website. I, I there are sixteen listed, but to be very honest, there is several in the pipeline. Okay, um, so that will increase. That that is a higher number, but we just haven't gotten the web page updated with some of those. So I would I think we're hovering around twenty rep orgs. Some of them are international. We have people in Australia when we have a current person in Argentina who's applied. They're in their final, their final, you know, kind of pathway of, of approval. So I would say 20 is, might be even higher than 20. That's amazing. And in terms of the application process or how to become a recognized education provider, obviously reviewing the standards so that you know your instructors and the curriculum that you've developed will basically pass muster. And can you just give us a little idea of what kind of the steps are in application? Is there the ability to get advisement on how to do and complete your your application and get approved by S four hundred one? A hundred percent. There's the education committee. The and then part of the education committee is the what I what we call the art group. It's the application review team. There are four of us on that. So the the four of us review each application. So there is a main application that a person needs to fill out. Having a contact person who is responsible for the application, for what's in the application, who knows it. And it's a fairly, it's lengthy in the sense that, you know, you need to put down what your resources are. How did you develop the course? What are your learning objectives? What are your clinical learning activities? How do you assess for those activities? That requires time and thought, but it's not any different really than what's required from NCB when you submit a course for review and approval. So you you walk through, if there are questions, there's someone, you know, reaching out education at s4om.org, we'll get back with you on that. We'll, I've talked with many people on the phone, had Zoom calls with people in different countries in order to help them through that process. Absolutely. We want people to succeed in this, of course. We don't want it to be so terrible and onerous that, you know, we want people to succeed. We also want to be kind of consistent with applying the standards. We want it to be transparent. We want it to be the same for every person who's applying. So in that sense, we are kind of like name blind. We just kind of go through and each section and does this make sense? And if there are questions on an application, the art team replies back to the contact person to say, okay, section one looks great. Section two looks great. Section three, we had a question on 3.2. And section four, we had a question about 4.2. So that the contact person, the applicant can see exactly which areas and we're wondering about, we need clarification on. There is always an opportunity to come back. And that's, that's a pending notice and that people will resubmit their application with those things clarified and on we go. Wonderful. Wonderful. So a very supportive process. So you have your uh, recognized education provider organizations. They provide these foundational courses of various styles, lengths, and so forth. Now, once a person takes a foundational course, how do they then become a preferred practitioner? Yeah, another great question. It's a fairly straightforward an easy process. If you've taken an S4OM rep org, you know, foundational course on your massage therapist, especially if you've been a massage therapist for a year, 
it's a very straightforward application. I think that we even have it like within our website, our web page, right? Where you can just kind of fill it out, attach the necessary documents and submit. And really that's about, you know, your entry-level massage training. Is that clear? Do you have insurance? Attach that form. Attach the certificate of completion or achievement from your foundational course. So it's filling out all those things, attaching those copies and sending it in. It's a very easy process from what I've observed and seen. Wonderful. Now, what if you're a person who, say, has not taken a foundational course, but has a lot of background and training, working with cancer patients, taking other courses that may be relevant in oncology massage? Is there a different pathway? Yes. And taking the foundational course? Okay. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about S4OM is we really try to um, expand the areas. So with that specific question, we have what's called the preferred practitioner alternate application. To make it as, again, you know, equitable across the board, we've basically taken the standards, the education standards, and we've taken them and put them into an application form. So it's lengthy. It's lengthy. <laughs> we'll say that. It, 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 you know, but you, the applicant would need to basically complete the questions as they relate to the standards and submit that. You know, I've looked at it and it's, it, it almost feels like an exam from our foundational course, right? Mm-hmm. Like knowing all of this information, but it's one way of saying, okay, these students that are, you know, graduating or leaving or completing a foundational course, that that course needs to have these standards included. So those who are applying, having had experience in other places, it makes sense they would need to know the same level of information and be able to show that, demonstrate that. Right. Equitable education and competency. No judgment on how you got there. No, no. Right. Just, Just that you have it. And I think that um, really allows people to understand that becoming a preferred practitioner is not just a label. It's not like a certificate that you paid for. It really is a designation that says you are educated and qualified to work with this very special and potentially vulnerable population. I, I love that. And then I would say your preferred practitioners, I know, are listed on your website so people can locate a practitioner. If they're looking for someone trained in oncology massage, and I think that's a helpful resource for potential clients, caregivers, physicians, oncologists, whoever, who might be seeking out the services of a massage therapist who's qualified to work with a cancer patient. 100%. I, I know for me personally, I have, I have referred people who have inquired of me you know, how can I find a massage therapist? I live in Florida. I'll send them to the preferred practitioner directory. Mm-hmm. To, you know, you can type in your zip code and you can look, you can find someone in your area. I'll also say that people have found me. You know, mm-hmm. my, my investment in, in being a preferred practitioner has paid for itself many times <laughs> because, because clients, family have found me on that on the practitioner listing because they're looking for someone for their mom or their sister or, you know, whoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
so you know it's it's not as a marketing thing that that's not the in my mind the goal it isn't i think it's an investment in your level of education and knowledge and with that comes an opportunity to be more for the public to know more about finding you yes and obviously within that they understand that you've gone through training and education because exactly. you've been approved by the Society for Oncology Massage. Exactly. Had your foundational training. And you know, I consistently tell students that I have the opportunity to work with go for more classes. Go yes. experience there's there are so many ways to take this training. This is this is your beginning step. And maybe people want to go into more end of life care or maybe people want to go into working with people to help manage their lymphedema. There's all kinds of ways to take this, but it, it's, a, it's a wonderful beginning step. And out of the gate, when you leave your class, you have tools that you can absolutely use to begin to work more confidently and competently work with people who have a history of cancer. Wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much, Mary. That was so helpful. And Thank you for sharing all of that information. I think a lot of people will be happy to get an understanding as they approach maybe becoming an educator or a preferred practitioner or just finding a great resource for oncology massage education. So before we get going, is there anything you'd like to leave us with or finish with today? I mean, I think that for anyone who's interested in becoming a recognized education provider, we welcome you. We would love to have you apply. Take a look at the standards. Take a look at the process. And if it's at all confusing or you're unsure about something, reach out. There are people that are willing to help. Um, you know, you have to do the heavy lifting of having a class that you know will pass muster and your instructors. But it's we hope that it's clarified. And if it's not, reach out. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Mary, for your time. You're and uh, this was just amazing. And hopefully we'll get to talk to you more about some other education-related things that S4OM is embarking on, but more podcasts later on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to S4OM's Collaborative Connections podcast. If you found the information we shared today insightful and valuable, Share this episode with a friend or let us know you love this episode by tagging us on social media. Our goal is to bring the oncology massage community the latest research, education, and best practices possible. We love hearing from our listeners and welcome your thoughts and suggestions for future episodes. If you have any questions or feedback, you can email us at podcast at s4om.org. Until next time, thank you for listening.